Hey everyone, my name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker Podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about our political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Tuesday. Hopefully you're, you spend your weekend spending time with family, friends, watching tennis along the way. Uh, there's a little bit of tennis news we can get into. We can obviously get into the semifinals of both Casper Ruud versus Andre Rublev. We can get into Stefano Tsitsipas versus Daniel Evans as well. We can also get into Rafa Nadal's early exit at the Monte Carlo Rolex Masters, as well as Nikirgios uh, deciding to withdraw from tennis tournaments until the foreseeable future or until the grass season, of course. Uh, we can also get into my weekly, my weekly pick or the Jake Paul-Ben Askren fight. But where I think we'll start off for today is very simple. We'll start off with Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, match against Andre Rublev at the Monte Carlo final. So if you guys didn't watch the match, and I don't blame if you haven't, uh, by the way, my name is Ajay Tucker, as the name it would suggest. I'm pretty sure I forgot that. But uh, if you guys didn't watch the match, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas won against Andre Rublev, 6-3, 6-3 in straight sets. And heading into the match, I was very interested to see how this sort of situation would play out, right? Uh, usually when it comes to uh, Andre Rublev, and this is what I got from Matthew Willis, Matthew Willis tweeted out, uh, wet conditions is probably a lot better news for Rublev than it is for Sitsipas. And it basically it was in response to a few raindrops coming down in Monaco. So when I saw this information early in the morning on Sunday, if you watch this in the States, you probably watch this at around like 8.30 a.m. Same with me, I watched this in 8.30 a.m., which is not that bad, if I'm going to be quite honest with you. Uh, not as bad as like the Australian Open, but uh, that's brutal here in the states. But uh, when I heard when I saw this information, I was like, okay, well, if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, but if I'm a betting man, I would definitely go for Rublev, maybe in a highly contentious uh, match, uh, lasting three sets and maybe several tiebreakers, and uh, that did not happen whatsoever. Uh, it was essentially a clean match by Sitsipas. He won in straight sets, six three, six three, and. There's a little, there's, we can go by bit by bit here, but I think the way, the reason why Stefano Tsitsipas beated Andre Rublev at the Monte Carlo final was because he just had a better first serve, had a better second serve, was better when it came to holding it, when it came to holding his serve, uh, when it came to breaking Rublev's serve, when it came to staying at the baseline and having pristine, nice, clean shots that can sort of have this sort of degree of separation. And, you know, he really sustained himself in rallies where he sort of had the betterment of Rublev in a lot of occasions. And, you know, this is oftentimes what you'll see from, you know, different tennis players is there's is just their ability to execute well under pressure. And Stefano Tsitsipas really exemplified that during the runtime of this match. You know, I mean, it started off with Tsitsipas winning the first three games. And again, it harkens back into how accurate he was and you know the way that he was able to separate his shots and you know find that one feet two feet distance between Rublev and uh, whether it was at the deuce court or at the ad court but really having these forehands and backhands that can sort of turn into winners essentially and you know he had a lot of nasty shots early on and it sort of confused Rublev and it really made sure that certain rallies or several rallies for that matter didn't really go to Rublev's way 
you know, at one point it was 4-1 and Tsitsipas dropped four points at that time while serving, you know. So if you're going to win, if you're going to succeed under pressure, uh, you, you have to do well when it comes to breaking your opponent's serve. And Rublev did not do that whatsoever, you know, and it only got things worse when it was at 4-1, 1540, Tsitsipas was down, I think, on the break. Uh, and I mean, he had this amazing forehand. An amazing forehand. I think it was either down the line. Maybe, maybe it was cross court. I'm not so sure. Uh, I may have to check the tape. It's on the highlights if you haven't checked it out. But uh, he had this amazing, amazing shot that, in my opinion, was just... If if that was not the definitive statement, I, I don't know what is. Like, you could have stopped the match right there and said, okay, Sitsipas is going to win just based off that shot alone. And, you know, it, it, you know he had, they had this unbelievable rally uh, at 5-3-15 love where Sitsipas had this amazing forehand and I'm pretty sure, pretty sure this was at the first set as well with so much separation that it, it made me realize, okay, he's going to win this game, going to win the set and if he's going to have that same energy then the second set should not be that much different. You know, it's easy to sort of Monday morning quarterback this but, you know, it's, it's very true when it comes to instances such as this match where it was just a, a complete slaughter fest uh, by Sitsipas. And then obviously Sitsipas won the last game on a double break, right? And, you know, it was 15-40 going Sitsipas way. Rublev was really going balls to the wall during that ma- uh, during that last set, especially those last few games of that set. And, you know, if he sort of had that same fervor and energy for that entire runtime of the match, then it could have gone a different way. But unfortunately, uh, it didn't necessarily, you know... <laughs> Uh, go that way, <laughs> and uh, as a result, Sitsipas is your now is your new 2022 Monte Carlo champion. So now this sort of lends into the uh, question: How will Sitsipas fare for the rest of the clay season? You know, I think that's a genuine concern. That's a genuine criticism, or not criticism, but a genuine question. And honestly, I don't think he's going to win Roland Garros. I think that's for Nadal to win. And for him to lose as well, I think it's going to go down to Nadal Djokovic. But I mean, he's in contention to adequately compete uh, against those players. And I think, you know, this sort of begs the question, uh, not begs the question, but maybe he can bring that same fervor to not only the French Open, but maybe if he's scheduled to play the Barcelona Open, maybe in the Barcelona Open. You know, so if he's able to bring the same energy and, you know, rely on his uh, insistence to really build off these points and really hitting it in tight spaces and tight pockets all across the court, uh, then not only can he win against the original, or not original, but, you know, players of his age and style, but he can also win against the big three and compete against the big three in, in ways that no other tennis player has done before. So yeah, those those that's generally my opinion on the match, and uh, hopefully we can expect more from Sitsipas as the uh, days go by, as as the months go by, and hopefully he can turn this into a season to remember. You know, because I'll be quite honest with you, I'm not the biggest fan of uh, Sitsipas, uh, but again, you know, seeing you know high level tennis played at that level is just. Uh, or at that at that pace at that speed is something to it's it's, it's a marvelous sight to watch, and part of the reason why I'm not that big of a fan of Sitsipas is because, you know, he is sort of a 
I saw that doubles match last week where he was just tripping off the line uh, line ref, and I, I don't think that's needed, especially with that le- little people, uh, with that less people watching it and even like tuning in to see it. I mean, there were very few people in the stands. I'm sure there were far fewer people watching it in real time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, with Kyrgios, it's different because he's sort of uh, adamant about it, and he sort of brings a sort of charm factor and sort of brings the audience in. And as well, and I think it actually helps tennis with Kyrgios when he is a little bit frustrated and mad. But with Tsitsipas, when nobody's there, when you're just yelling at them, I I don't think that does anybody any favors. Uh, But yeah, that's just my opinion on the Monte Carlo final. Good match on both of them, and uh, hopefully we can see more out of them uh, in the in the days to come and in the uh, in the months uh, come as well. You know, I think Andre Rublev is scheduled to play the Barcelona Open, so that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, yeah, anyways, let's get into the semifinals, right? Um, Stefano Tsitsipas played against Daniel Evans. Again, uh, Tsitsipas won against Daniel Evans in a very similar fashion as he did against Rublev. 6-2, 6-1. I didn't cover this. Uh, this happened on Saturday, so I just want to talk about this over the weekend. Uh, you know, I mean, I had some few notes here, uh, and we can just sort of get into it. No, not Maybe not get into this match, but... Uh, but sort of go bit by bit as to you know what I've uh, what I observed uh, watching this match. Uh, boss held serve in the first game of the first set, and Evans then held his serve, which was one one. Uh, there were lots of unforced errors in the match. They didn't really play their A game. Uh, boss later played his A game in the final, but uh, you know I mean um, you know he, they just couldn't keep the ball in the court. You know it was a lot of you know like this, and all of a sudden the ball would just like goal to the stands so it, it was sort of you know a little you know cut in, it's a, it was very like sort of staccato flow to it I guess uh, it was very sort of like I don't know it was very stop and start feel to it you know it sort of felt like that uh, boss then broke Evans serve in the fourth game to make a 3-1 and he was very good at the net and baseline as well um, which sort of became like a factor as well when it came to not only his uh, match against uh, Rublev in the finals, but also just a testament to his his playing style uh, throughout the entire Monte Carlo as well. Uh, Evans then broke Sitsipas to make a 3-2. And, you know, Evans, you know, baited Sitsipas to, you know, make certain errors. And, you know, it sort of culminated to 3-2, I think, uh Sitsipas was won, uh, winning against Evans, but it was 3-2, 15-0. Evans got Sitsipas to the net and had this great lob to get the winner. And it was one of those lobs where if you just kept, like, sort of doing that, where he sort of, like, brought him to his own level or brought Sitsipas to his own level, to Evans' level, then I think he would have saw an entirely different outcome for the match. Uh, but that didn't happen to be the case. The last three games were all Sitsipas, and you know it was because Evans couldn't manage his temper. You know he was, he was yelling a lot, not directed at anybody, but just at himself. And when you have that sort of attitude towards yourself, uh, it, it won't really go your well go your way. If I'm being completely honest. Uh, so yeah, I mean that was just the first set, and then the second set, uh, both held their serve similar to the first set. It was one all. And then Sitsipas was up 4-1. Like, <laughs> he won three straight games. Evans tried to break his racket at 30-all, 3-1. Uh, by the way, I'm not for breaking your racket. Like, 
I, I think that's kind of dumb if you if you're gonna break a racket. In, in my opinion, it's kind of dumb to do that because like I don't know. There there are like people in like lower income areas watching this tennis match and seeing like an like a millionaire tennis player break his like three hundred dollar racket. I don't think that does anybody any favors. It doesn't go well for class relations when it comes to uh, tennis fans watching tennis. Um, it's sort of the similar vibe when I got when I heard the news of the, the of the Super League that's happening in Europe with the football teams. It, it sort of reminds me of that. But, uh, you know, Sitsipas then broke Evans' serve to make it 5-1 and subsequently led to make it 6-1. And uh, Evans, this was a very key important stat that I, I really wanted to like at least like break down which is the second percentage win rate right I think this is a very important like statistic to find out because it sort of separates those who are going to win versus those who will win is their ability to win on that second serve and Evans only had a 36 percent win rate on that second serve and you're not going to win a match against Tsitsipas you know a man who's very successful returning serve uh, especially a serve in less kilometers or less miles an hour uh, if you're just gonna you know have a 36 percent win rate so again you know that's just my overall thoughts on the semifinal sort of uneventful um, I think that was the first semifinal of the two semifinals on Saturday um, and it made all the difference in the world so you know it sort of laid the groundwork for what we saw uh, in the finals, and, um, you know, uh, Daniel, Daniel Evans had a really great stretch of great matches, and it, it all started with Djokovic. Uh, it, it sort of felt like a fairy tale run, and we sort of found out it was kind of a fairy tale, fairy tale run, uh, but even then, it was still a great match to watch, and, uh, you know, congrats to, congrats to Sid Sposs on that one. Uh, but anyways, uh, let's get into the second semifinal, which was a little bit more competitive. Casper Ruud uh, versus Andre Rublev. Hopefully I'm saying Casper Ruud correctly. I, it would be weird if I just pronounced it Casper the Ghost. Uh, but um, Rublev won against Ruud, 6-3-7-5. They tied it up at one, both held serve. Ruud won the third game on a triple break, uh, which I, I didn't know you could even do. Uh, it was like level 40, then he came back, won on triple break. Uh, Rublev then broke root serve to make a two all, so it was sort of a stalwart between the two uh, early on. But uh, Rublev hurt, uh, held serve, one on one on a double break uh, to get to four two, and then you sort of saw the the change within Rublev's sort of shot selection and also his demeanor in the match, and he was just more assertive with his shots, added variation to his points, and really brought the game to his level, which is a very common factor. Uh, throughout these matches is your ability to you know sort of bring it down to your level not sort of be aggressive or you know play on 2x speed but sort of slowing it down making sure you have the right amount of pace the right amount of spin to your shots making sure that not only are they elegant but also refined and smooth as well uh, with finishes that don't often lead to don't often lead to unforced errors and um, it was a it was a good match uh, it was a good set that uh, that first set. It was six three. Uh, Rublev won uh, that first set, and then the second set it was more or less the same. Uh, one zero love all. Rublev hit this amazing cross court that was just stellar to watch. That he's been known to do since I don't know, like uh, 
I mean, I started I started to really be interested in uh, Rublev since Rotterdam of this year. And you, the one thing that you can notice about Rublev is just how dynamic he is when it comes to the baseline and really sticking it with these rallies so that it can go his way. You got to give it to him. Like, I've never seen winners that beautiful. Uh, so Rublev's down the court or cross court uh, winners that often lead to points. So... Uh, Rude came back to make it 4-2, and, uh, and he did it by pressuring Rublev in precarious positions and forced him to make shots in a non-normal way. So what I mean by that is, you know, just, you know, making him un- have unforced errors, you know, adding more uh, topspin to his uh, to his uh, shots and, uh, you know, just making it more competitive for him and, uh, you know, just understanding the flaws to his game, but... You know, as we all know, there's a difference between Rublev first set versus Rublev in the last, in the later half of the second set. And Rublev won on a, won on a double break to make a 4-3. Rublev was up 40-30, 4-3, serves Rude, returns. Rublev hits down the line with a forehand. So he basically, so he serves, Rude returns. And what happens is that he, he basically hits this amazing shot, like I'm pretty sure it was a forehand, and he just stayed at the same place during the entire time. And there was just like this vast open space that I think was in the ad court that he just took advantage of. And he, he did it in a great way, in a, in a very calculated way. And, you know, again, you know, it's sort of, you know, it was sort of like, it was a really, uh, a, it was a very eclectic feel when it came to the the uh, the shot selection when it based off the rallies later on in that second set, Rude was up thirty all for uh, for all. Rude in a rally hits shots similar to that of Rublev, and you know it, it was basically serve return hits forehand down the line, uh, and then Rublev held serve to tie the game five five, had eight backhand winners by the middle of the fifth in the second set, and you know that makes all the difference in the world. Rude. Uh, serves Rublev, returns, rude hit forehand down the line for a winner. So it's a very sort of a very similar scenario as we've seen in the past in the match. And, you know, Rublev broke serve on a double break to get ahead 6-5, you know. Uh, Rublev wins on three match points. Uh, rude only had two service games won. <laughs> you know, like, like, think about it. Like, Rude only had two service games won the entire entire match uh that's not good you know that's and that's really not good uh to have especially at that deep uh of of a match so you know rublev got the better of rude and uh uh it stinks that he couldn't pull through in that uh in that uh match against sits boss but uh yeah that that's generally my uh my points on the Rublev Rude match. I thought it was interesting. Way better and way more enjoyable than Sitsipas Evans. Uh, more cleaner uh, and better, more competitive. But uh, yeah. Uh, before I get into my thoughts on Nick Kyrgios skipping out of the clay season, uh, let me just say I know what you're thinking. Uh, I look like a make a wish kid. You know, I look like a school shooter. Okay. I look like brown faced Lex Friedman. Uh, and uh, yeah. I just want to get that out of the way. You know, I I, I, I know I look like that. So uh, the thumbnails will be horrible to see. You know, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. The, the thumbnails will be horrible uh, to see. 
Uh, but anyways, that's just I I know what I know what you're thinking. Okay. Uh, I yeah, it's it's a crew cut, you know, it's a crew cut. Wanted a low fade, but got a crew cut instead. Not that bad. Not too shabby. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I look like I'm I'm gonna get a, like a wish from John Cena to like cure my leukemia or something. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyways. Okay. Uh, let's get into Nick Kyrgios skipping out of the clay season. I wanted to get get into this on Thursday, but I just I just couldn't. Um, it wasn't on my mind, but it was announced on last Monday that uh. Nick Kyrgios was going to skip out of the clay season, go back uh, into Wimbledon or around the tournaments uh, scheduled around or leading up to Wimbledon. And uh, my general thoughts on the matter is I think this is a wrong move for Kyrgios. I really do. I think he should really compete. And I know he has the perfect excuse to line this up with where he says that he's you know careful with COVID and Again, it's tennis, you know, you're playing on opposite sides of the tennis court. You know, I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure uh, opposite sides of a, of a tennis court probably uh, is bigger than six feet or longer than six feet. Just my, you know, two cents here. Uh, I'm not a mathematician, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's bigger or longer than six feet. Uh, I think Nick Kyrgios should play in the clay season. And yeah, I, I think it's sort of bad on his part to not. Uh, play in the clay season you know I mean this is a man that had a really good match against Dominic team you know a very good match against Dominic team that Australian Open and you know I, I do think this will affect him where he's not able to get past the fourth round or or even the past the quarterfinals you know I mean or even the third round to be to be quite frank with you I think that if lack of preparation will do a number on you and it's going to lead into a loss some way, shape, or form. So, I mean, you got to really focus on, uh, you know, making better, uh, making, you know, being more calculated when it comes to preparing for these big majors because, you know, he's 26, 27. I mean, he's not getting any younger. You know, I mean, you have to win at this point, moment in juncture and not just be a, a journeyman, you know. I really want him to see him win and to succeed because I do think he has, like, the future of tennis, specifically when it comes to, uh, you know, people within my age in Australia, down south. You know, I mean, the amount of uh, f uh, fan engagement that he has, the amount of audience engagement he has with people not only in Australia, but also in Wimbledon as well, even here in the United States. I mean, the U.S. loves Nick Kyrgios, and it's because of how outlandish he is and you know how much excitement he brings to the table and to the majors but you know if you're not able to prepare for these matches or even compete for these matches uh you know it's going to be hard for people to support you because you're you'll be out of the you know public eye you know and you know the most important thing is you know accumulating that attention and accumulating that success so that i can breed people to actually watch you perform and actually pay to see you perform and if you're going to lose early on in the match, then or early on in the uh, early on in these tournaments, it's going to do a number on you in a big, profound way. So yeah, I mean, I'm not in support of this because I know it's going to take a toll on Kyrgios, and I know it's going to lead into something where you can see like a a one match exit for him, where he may win a match or even like lose that same match and you know end up with no pay, you know. So I mean. That's just my overall uh, opinion on Nick Kyrgios skipping out of the clay season. Obviously, he has 
a great excuse lined up for him COVID, but I think uh, he should value these next few months because I think it's going to be the the difference between whether or not he will have a career where he, he can at least win one major versus a career where he's just a journeyman. You know, so and uh, hopefully I'm wrong because you know I really love Nikirios. I think he brings excitement, engagement to the sport, and I think there needs to be some life pumped into the sport of tennis. Because when I saw Jake Paul Ben Askren, I'm like, okay, like they need to at least borrow a page out of the Jake Paul Ben Askren fight, just a little page. You know, not too much of a page, just a little page, where you can actually like you know, have, like, actual quality top-tier talent not only make money, but actually bring people to tune in your product, you know. Otherwise, you're going to have the same... Otherwise, it'll go down, it'll go down the same fate as boxing, where you're going to see two people, two celebrities or two individuals, uh, you know, who are very inexperienced within the, in, in the sport, but end up making way more money than actual people within the sport that have trained their entire lives for that moment. So yeah, I mean, and that's just my thoughts on Nikirios skipping out on the clay, se- clay season, and um, you know, I mean, it was just what 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 can I say? I mean, it was just not that. In- it was yeah, I, I I was sort of bummed when I heard the news. To be quite honest with you, because uh, he I don't know. I mean, he should. He should at least like compete in like at least one open. Maybe if if it's not the Barcelona Open, then maybe the Serbia Open. Uh, you know who knows? You know maybe it could be uh, even even a even a smaller major. You know it, it all depends. But uh, yeah, that's just my thoughts on uh, the uh, on the news of Kyrgios dropping or not or not playing the clay season. So, anyways, let's get into the upset that happened on Friday afternoon. Uh, Rafa Nadal lost to Andrei Rublev, and uh, it's very important because he lost in three sets to Rublev, 6-2, 4-6, 6-2. The king of clay lost on clay. Uh, Rafa Nadal only had four break points the entire match. Uh, four break points, so most of it uh, went through him holding serve. And, um, you know, he also had seven double faults as well, seven double faults. And again, going back to Matt Matthew Willis from Mad Racket, uh, let me pull up this tweet sooner than later. Uh, ten out of ten BWEHHS. I'm not so sure what that means. Uh, Nadal obviously had an off day, but Rublev capitalized brilliantly, dominated forehand into Nadal backhand and returned very well, hurting Nadal's one-two on serve. Forty-four percent for serve return points one. Big three slipping a Masters, not new, but huge win, especially for Rublev versus uh, versus his idol on clay. Uh, yeah, that's very true. Um, especially uh, that last sentence, which I think is very important to at least like break down and get into. Uh, the big three are slipping at the Masters, uh, and you know that should be not a concern, but that should actually be a newfound interest into the sport because now it actually paves the way for younger tennis players to actually be competitive and to actually bring and generate profit towards the ATP and actually, you know, having successful years when it comes to uh, being on the circuit. You know, I mean, people are always like, oh, what's the next Federer? What's the next Djokovic? What's the next Nadal? And I think that's like, 
the wrong idea to have when it comes to thinking of the future of tennis. It's not the next Federer. It's the next. How can I be the next best thing? You know, I, I can't. I can't be Federer or Djokovic, but I can be the next best thing, and I'll do it by being true to myself. That's that's what I think the overall mantra for these tennis players are. It's not necessarily being through being through uh, uh, being comparing and contrasting from the all-time great is how do I become the next best thing you know I mean that's the question that should be answered and uh, they're answering it I mean Rublev went against uh, against Nadal was nothing but spectacular it was nothing short short of uh, nothing but spectacular you know it was it was a great uh, great match you know great rallies uh, Rafa Nadal lost his footing in some instances. You know, I I don't want to say he was injured or so, but you know there are summer times or certain times where I was like, okay, uh, this is not Nadal at his best shape or form, and um, you know it, it caught up to him at the end. You know he lost that third set the same way he lost that first set. You know, and uh, hopefully he can bounce back with Barcelona. And uh, again, I don't I don't discount him in the French Open. You know I think Nadal as of this moment has the best chance. To, or has the best chance to win the French Open. And anybody who suggests otherwise, I don't think, has really paid attention to the history of Rafa Nadal in this moment in juncture, in this moment in time. So, yeah. That's just my thoughts on the matter. Uh, Also, I saw that tweet from Owen from Tennis Nation, horror show of a day from Nadal, but he did very well to avoid going down a devil break in the second Loss in Monte Carlo in 2019 was probably more concerning for his chances at Roland Garros. Still the favorite there. I 100% agree with Owen from Tennis Nation. I think he, Rafa Nadal, I'm saying, uh, still has the best chance to at least uh, showcase his challenge and, you know, be a competitive fighter, a competitive man, a competitive individual who can, you know, succeed uh, when the chips are against him. And, you know, to uh, to insinuate otherwise, I think, is uh, being a little bit... Uh, um, you, you, you may mis, you may be misconstrued a little bit on that uh, occasion or on that instance, you know, because he does have a lot of fight left in him, you know. Uh, not to you know quote that. Uh, what what was that line from Carrie Underwood? Fight song, the Hillary Clinton theme song. Yeah, I mean he still got a lot. Of, he still has a lot of fight left in him, you know. I mean, he he does, you know. I mean it's rough at all. You can't count out the king of clay, you know. He's a he's 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 successful at clay for a reason, you know. That's his best surface, and not only that, but he, you're gonna miss him when he's gone, you know. <laughs> he, he you're gonna miss him. It's, like the man is just undeniable. Uh, he really is. But anyways, uh, let's get into uh, the Jake Paul fight. So Jake Paul beat Ben Askren, and I think it was less than like a minute or so. Uh, hit him with a right hand right square to his face uh ben Askren fell flat on his ass and um you know jake paul won against a retired mma fighter and uh you know this is my this is my general overview or general thoughts on the jake paul fight uh i think it's quite evident that triller the company that made the fight uh needs jake paul to succeed because he brings eyeballs to the sport. He brings eyeballs. Whether you love him or hate him, whether you find him interesting to watch or whether you hate his guts, 
Uh, he brings eyeballs to your product. I mean, he does. And Triller want, needs him to succeed because in a lot of ways, I think the way Triller is viewing Jake Paul, and I'm sure a lot of you MMA enthusiasts will know this, but will know this uh, instance or this particular scenario that I'm talking about, but it's sort of like Elite XC with Kimbo Slice, right? So if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, in around 2007, 2008, uh, Elite XC popped up and Kimbo Slice was their main marquee superstar. And they thought that the YouTube views that Kimbo Slice generated with his bare knuckle boxing fights uh, could, or backyard fights, I should say, uh, could generate interest for Elite XC. Uh, however, he lost to uh, some purple haired fighter uh, who was called up to fight him with less than two hours notice on CBS. Uh, which was like the first time MMA was ever shown on like a big network and Kimbo Slice went down in less than 10 seconds and as a result Elite XC folded and you know I think obviously we should not you know have too much stock in history you know I think you know we should you know learn about history but you know history does have a tendency to repeat itself and I think the way Triller is viewing Jake Paul is that they really need him to succeed or else there won't be any interest in not only boxing, but just Triller as a whole. You know, nobody's nobody wants to watch two, you know, random boxers box. You know, they want Jake Paul, a person that markets himself, who gets people talking about him to, you know, succeed and to win for the entire company to win. You know, and also, uh, I'm pretty sure like Jake Paul owns like 50% of the company as well. You know, I'm, I'm, I may be wrong on the numbers, but I, I think him and like Snoop Dogg also own like, like a, a fair share percentage of the company. So, you know, and again, like when it comes to like watching Triller, I mean, nobody's nobody wants to watch Saweetie lip sync for like 30 minutes. You know, nobody wants to, you know, while I don't really mind her, I think Doja Cat's actually a pretty good artist. Uh, you know, that may be controversial. I'm not so sure. But, uh, you know, nobody wants to watch a boxing match or a boxing pay-per-view and then see Doja Cat perform Say So. I mean, you know, we want to see the entertainment aspect. We want to see the fights, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, celebrity boxers because, you know, they just know a better way to platform themselves to, you know, get people talking and to generate social media interest, which a lot of uh, fighters don't really know how to do. You know, I mean... And obviously we can get into the fight as well. I mean, do I think the fight was rigged? No, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I, I think the that shot was pretty clean. I mean, when people take dives, people don't really take dives falling sideways. You know, they usually just fall down like the Twin Towers, you know. Like, it, when people take dives, it's usually like an uppercut and they just fall down. Uh, you know, they, they just like, I don't know. It, if you're going to dive, you don't do it like swaying off in one corner, you know. And also when he was getting up, you know, he sort of like rocked back and forth and he sort of saw like a, a bit of a sustained, a, a bit of a sustained hit on and, you know, sustained uh, residuals on Ben Askren due to Jake Paul's uh, uh, right hand. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, you know, they, they wasted so many hours on the performance that it sort of took away from the event. You know, when I watched it, it was like 1240 in the morning, Sunday morning, 1240 a.m. I mean shorten it down you know but yeah you know i think you know jay triller needs jake paul to succeed and uh you know i don't think he's gonna fight any real boxers i think they're just gonna stick with uh 
these MMA fighters or even celebrity YouTubers or just celebrities in general. But, you know, I think he's going to I think his last fight will be the will be his biggest payday. And I think that will be the fight where he'll fight against like an actual boxer. So, yeah, that's sort of what I think is that he's going to fight maybe tomato cans, borderline tomato cans. And then his final fight will be his biggest payday. And that's when he'll actually get like the crap beaten out of him by like an actual professional boxer. That's that's my overall prediction on the match. But yeah, that's yeah, but yeah, I mean Yeah. <laughs> that that's what I'm that's what I have to say about the fight, you know. I like Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson was an actual addition to the match and or to the fight, to the event and uh he did a really good job uh, you know, sort of get going from one locker room to the other and trying to backstab one another and, you know, sort of lying in front of one of one another to like get them on their good side or get them on his good side. But yeah, uh, it was, it was a good event, you know, but I think UFC is a way better product than tennis, uh, than not tennis, maybe tennis, I don't know, uh, than, uh, boxing, you know, so. So anyways, uh, my weekly pick or actually, I want to actually talk about this for a minute, just for one single minute. Um, I think tennis could learn a little bit about Jake Paul's fight with Ben Askren, which is focus on putting yourself out on social media. And again, you don't have to be Andrew Schultz about it. You know, be entertaining, be informative, but, you know, don't expect the ATP to really put you on, you know, put yourself on, you know, and, you know, be more engaging with the fans and, you know, generate that interest so that people can either love you or hate you, but at the same time, just pay money to watch you perform. You know, haters, uh, lovers, they all pay the same price of admission. So, you know, why not just build people to hate you so that they can watch you perform? You know, I mean, you'll make way more money that way than, you know, sort of playing a sport that often is considered a, uh, a upper middle class sport, you know, that's usually the stereotype for tennis, but, you know, maybe pl- um, get interest from people throughout the entire world to watch you perform, you know, I think, I think that's a way better scenario for these tennis players to not only make more money, but to actually let the sport live, you know, because if you don't generate inter- uh, interest yourself, then I think, and hopefully I'm wrong about this, but if, if players don't take matters into their own hands and really you know, post on social media and really be with the fans. And I think tennis, in terms of popularity, and you're already seeing this as it is, I think tennis will sort of fade into obscurity, uh, the same way boxing is. And there will be people similar to that of Jake Paul that will sort of rise from the ashes and uh, facilitate that sort of celebrity-driven sport that we're currently seeing with boxing. So, yeah, that's just my overall thoughts. Uh, Hopefully I'm wrong because that's my most morbid prediction but it's a prediction that i think will happen maybe not in 20 years or 30 years but maybe in 40 50 years you know just do it sooner than later so it doesn't actually ramp up but anyways uh okay let me get into my weekly pick and then i'll just quickly bolt off but uh my weekly pick it's basically recurring every week i recommend something music art culture whatever it is uh, a, a, a novel, whatever it is, uh, an album. Uh, this weekly pick was something that I had a month or two months ago. It's Weezer's Okay Human. I want to, you know, recommend this again. It's one of the better albums of 2021. I listen to it at least once a week. 
you know, there's songs that I love so much, Alu Gobi Numbers as well, which is very similar to that of like a Coldplay song from like Viva La Vida or, you know, U2's The Joshua Trees. I mean, Numbers is like my my favorite song from the album because it's just very sort of idyllic of, you know, of Weezer at this current moment. And, you know, when you're watching or when you're listening to this album, you know, it, it gets you this sort of late 2000s nostalgic feel. You know, it's very like 500 days of summer. You know, it, it's it's a very sort of, you know, coming of age, which is often thematic with a lot of Weezer's past work. You know, Green Album, Pinkerton, Blue Album. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I really enjoy the album and I wanted to recommend that album again because it's one of the better albums of 2021. So anyways, guys, um, that's all the time I have. I think the next next episode, I'll probably talk about the Barcelona Open one or two matches from there. I'll definitely be talking about the Super League formed by the European teams. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that will be the table. That'll be my setting the table for this uh, for the next episode. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure you will like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Just type in OJ Tucker Podcast on YouTube in the search bar. Uh, in the search bar, you'll see my name pop up. Uh, I don't have a hundred subscribers yet, you know, so uh, I can't really like put a link down in this description, or I can't really put a uh, uh, you know give you a link. Or tell you the link but you know just like and subscribe uh, uh and make sure you click the bell icon for notica- notifications down below uh right there I- i'm pretty sure right there on your left and guys uh that's all the time i have for today so guys thank you so much for listening thank you so much for tuning in uh i'll see you guys on thursday we'll talk more then but until then just rest and uh we'll talk more tennis then all right guys peace See y'all.